The Week in Doubt, episode 275. Hey everyone, I'm Phil Albertelli, the host of The Week in Doubt, a podcast for atheists, agnostics, and of course, whoever. Before we get started, I'd like to take care of some Facebook shoutouts. And I just want to say that I was blown away by how many people stepped up and liked the page after the last episode. If you remember, I asked if there was one kind soul out there. Am I allowed to use the term soul as an atheist? I think we do have souls in the sense of using it synonymously or interchangeably with words like psyche or self. The big question is, does it survive bodily death? Probably not. Not even through with the shoutouts, and I'm already off on a hideously depressing digression. But anyway, uh, I asked for one kind soul to step forward and give the FB page a like to get us up to a nice round 170. And to my surprise, like I was uh, saying, a bunch of you stepped up. It might not seem like a big deal to some, but I love the Facebook likes. It means a lot to know that... Someone was so entertained or affected enough by my content that they felt inspired to seek out the page and give it a like. And without further ado, here are this week's Facebook shoutouts. We have Scott Waldman, Dean Paxton, Matt Turner, Robin Rosner, Benjamin Fields, and Jerry Young. And also recently, Brett Brewer liked the uh, Facebook page as well think I gave him a shout out last week, but why not give him another shout out? Because I think it was right around that time I was uh, asking for more likes. So now we're up to 176 likes. Uh, Next goal, I guess, is 180. (laughs) I'll, I'll try not to push my luck. You guys should see how neurotic I get with my personal Facebook page. If I post a meme or change my profile pic and not enough people like it, I'm like, what? No one likes me anymore? What the hell's going on? Sad, but unfortunately true. Anyway, on with the show. So this week, I want to take a look at some fresh drama involving Jordan Peterson and Sam Harris and also Ben Shapiro. I was almost going to do an episode on Sam's clash or debate with Ben Shapiro that took place not that long ago. It was during one of those live events Sam does. It also featured Eric Weinstein, and it ended up being published as episode 112 of the Waking Up podcast, I believe, and it's, uh, I believe it's entitled The Intellectual Dark Web, but I just never got around to uh, covering it. But I first became aware of the recent, uh, once again, quote-unquote, drama, for lack of a better word, or maybe public disagreement sounds more dignified, I don't know, Uh, a few days ago when I noticed a tweet from Sam in my Twitter feed. And so it reads, I have to dispense with consciousness. Jordan, my ethics are entirely grounded in the reality of consciousness. And I've repeatedly said that consciousness is the one thing in the universe that cannot be an illusion. Sort yourself out, exclamation mark. And I love the sort yourself out part at the end. I wonder if that's Sam sarcastically poking fun at the way Jordan Peterson tells other people to get their act together or whatever. Now, I have to admit, my curiosity was piqued by this public rebuke of Jordan uh, by Sam, but I had no idea what it was in specific regard to or where this Peterson quote had originally come from. Then I noticed a screenshot or embedded thumbnail attached to the tweet showing Peterson and Shapiro on the set of the Rubin Report. And being uh, the impressive internet sleuth that I am, I was able to deduce that uh, perhaps that's where the statement came from. 
And what do you know, there was indeed a recent episode of The Rubin Report I hadn't seen, which features Shapiro and Peterson. So I watched the whole thing, and I think it may have been roughly around two hours long. The part where they talk about Sam takes place near the very end of the conversation, right before they take some viewer questions. And I'll actually play that exchange for you and comment as we go along. And a quick side note, there was a part right before the subject shifted to Sam that I really liked. It involved Jordan Peterson enthusiastically talking at length about psychedelics. Not only am I sincerely interested in the topic, but it was also fun just seeing straight-laced Ben Shapiro sitting there being subjected to a diatribe about substances like MDMA and mushrooms. Actually, I'd love to see Shapiro on mushrooms. But anyway, onward, and I probably won't include the original video in the YouTube version because I recently noticed that the Rubin Report seems to be targeting videos featuring their content for copyright infringement. There was one I tried to watch today. I think it was entitled something like Peterson and Shapiro, Christianity versus Judaism. I clicked on it and I got a black screen with the message, this video has been taken down by the Rubin Report due to copyright infringement or, or something to that effect. In fairness, maybe it didn't meet fair use requirements. Uh, anyway, here we go. And I, I, I'm not preaching that you have to agree with how I got to these values to say that these values are necessary for the civilization. I mean, this is essentially what I've said to Sam when I was debating him is, is you know, he said, well, you know, a lot of religious people, and he sort of suggested that I, you know, think that atheists can't be moral people. And I said, I don't think that that's true at all. I mean, the point that I'm making is you have to get to these values to have a civilization. How you get to those values, in my view, you know, I think requires a leap of faith. You can make that leap of faith a variety of different ways, but you're going to end up needing these central values at root if you're going to build a civilization off of that. So whether you do that through, you know, the, the kind of method that, that Sam wants to get to, what was weird is that, you know, Sam and I come from completely different perspectives on virtually everything, but we share probably 90 to 95% of our values. Yeah. And so what I would suggest mm -hmm. is that those values are rooted in a Judeo-Christian civilization that is mixed with a Greek civilization that brought us to the same place because we grew up five miles from each other. So of course we have the same values. Right. Okay, so nothing too outrageous yet. And I actually appreciate Shapiro's sentiment or this olive branch uh, he's offering that of course atheists can be good moral people and the most important thing is the positive values we hold and not how we reach those values. I might take some issue with his claim that our values are rooted in Greek and Judeo-Christian ethics or in a Greek and Judeo-Christian civilization. Paraphrasing, hopefully I'm not distorting what he was saying. I think there is some truth to that. I think Western civilization is heavily influenced by both Judeo-Christianity and ancient Hellenistic thought, uh, the philosophy, scientific insights, and governmental structure of the ancient Greeks, etc. I said Hellenistic thought, but I think the Hellenistic period is technically thought to have started around the time of or after the death of Alexander the Great, so probably even pre-Hellenistic thought if we go back to those earlier pre-Socratic Greek philosophers, etc., and of course, Hellenistic Judaism and early Christianity were both influenced by the philosophy of the Greeks. Uh, side note, I know Aristotle, one of the uh, Socratic philosophers, was the tutor of Alexander. Uh, I used to be really fascinated with Alexander the Great, and even to this day, still find myself debating whether I should get a tattoo of him or not. Uh, it would be my first. Uh, it'd probably either be Alexander the Great or Dionysus. Uh, and of course, um, Socratic philosophers, especially Plato, had a heavy influence on early Christian thought. Uh, I feel myself digressing. But getting back on track, 
Uh, I think my problem is, uh, I think we have to ask the question, how much might have these cultures or civilizations been influenced or shaped by the inherent better angels, figuratively speaking, of human nature, meaning we're a species of social animal that evolved to have a certain propensity or capacity for empathy and altruism, as well, of course, as a, a, a capacity for tribalism and violence, kind of uh, the two sides of the same evolutionary coin, I guess. I'm not trying to take away from the accomplishments and insights of ancient man, far from it. I just have the feeling that when Shapiro mentions our morality, uh, at least partly being rooted in Judeo-Christian culture or civilization, that's his way, albeit, I don't know, consciously or not, of trying to suggest that morality comes from religion, if not God. I do agree with him that he and Sam and the rest of us, if we're decent human beings, probably share about 95% of the same ethics. Whether you're an atheist or devoutly religious, most of us can probably agree that it's better to be compassionate than cruel, that it's better to treat others as we'd like to be treated. His, his counter-argument to that basically would be that you're really talking about enlightenment values, but you would say those values ultimately came right, from exactly. Judeo-Christian yeah, you know, values The funny thing that. about that is that's actually a silly argument, that those are enlightenment Well, values. I hope you guys will... Well, before you write it off as a silly argument, why not first clarify what specific values we're talking about? Well, about well I, think, on stage I think the biologists weeks, have right? already made short shrift of that. It's like Sam can't be an evolutionary biologist and say that the values that run Western civilization sprang from the Enlightenment. It's like you don't get to have those two time frames at the same time. Why not? Can't you argue, like I was saying earlier, that morality in part probably has some evolutionary roots, our propensity towards altruism and compassion, group solidarity, etc., or our capacity for those things. But we also perhaps, you know, polish and refine and improve upon our values over time, i.e. the Enlightenment. I may have slightly been so, putting words in his yeah, mouth there. No, so no, I don't no, 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 no. See, see yeah. I, I disagree with you a little bit about the atheist issue because I think this is the reason. It's like if you think about the layers of the mind, like mm -hmm. the, the iceberg analogy. It's like, well, you've got your, 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 your patterns of action and then you've got your justification for those patterns of action. You might think that those are rational. But, but then there's something underneath that, which is like, the images that represent reality and the stories that represent reality and then there's something underneath that even. Mm -hmm. And I think that to be religious is to have all of those things in order simultaneously. And Well, as I've expressed before on the show, I really admire Jordan Peterson's work when it comes to his take on mythology, etc. I'm a big Joseph Campbell fan, and I can see Campbell's influence in Peterson's work. I believe he's also heavily influenced by Jung. So there's a whole lot of emphasis on the power of myth and symbols, archetypes, etc. in Peterson's lectures. But I don't think you have to be religious in order to be able to use myths and symbols as touchstones or to find meaning in them. He almost sounds like an apologist for organized religion, and I would dare to say most religious people themselves don't share his fancy pants, I guess shall we say, approach to it. And we still have to deal with superstitious people who believe silly things quite literally. Not to say that I think myths or even biblical stories are necessarily silly, I think they become silly, not to mention dangerous, when you take them literally. And I think Jordan Pearson might agree with me on that, but once again, I don't think most people are walking around with his intellectual, psychoanalytical figure of approach to religious symbolism. There's still a lot of people out there who believe in this stuff literally. I don't think that 
you can have an ethic that's only grounded in rationality, because I think the integrity of that rationality depends on the totally integrity of stories that you don't understand no, so, that exist. So now I think we're getting a bit into airy-fairy territory. This idea that the integrity of the rationality we base our ethics on depends on the integrity of stories that we don't know about, but that exist. I'm trying to wrap my mind around that. I think he's saying that there are archetypal stories and myths and symbols that are inarguably real, and whether we're aware of it or not, the rationality behind our ethics is rooted in or dependent upon these archetypal stories. I think in a sense there are symbols and stories that resonate with us that you can find versions of across human cultures, the concept of the dying and rising god, the hero's journey, etc., but are they necessary for building a stable, reason-based system of ethics? I'm doubtful. I will say that I think rationality alone might not be enough. We need rationality tempered with compassion or uh, empathy. And I think Sam would agree. He might even posit that our propensity or capacity for compassion and empathy should factor into our ethical decisions. Something like the Golden Rule, for example, which far predates Christianity. So let me rephrase, because I actually agree with everything you just said. When I say that we have to agree on these values in order for us to build a civilization, how you get there is your own business. I mean on an individual level. I don't mean that every way you get to those values is equally valid. I think that uh, otherwise Sam and I would agree, right? <laughs> like, right. I, I, I do not think that the, me the mode of thinking from evolutionary biology to the values that I think are necessary for building a civilization are even... See, you know, I see weaknesses coming up in Sam's representations. Regarding what Ben just said there, trying to establish a system of values based in evolutionary biology, if that's even what Sam is suggesting, might be tricky in some regards. But is religion any better? I don't want to sound like a quote-unquote internet atheist, but shall we go through all the atrocities and anachronistic prohibitions and edicts in the Old Testament? Religion, at least those of the Abrahamic variety, also make for a flawed ethical foundation. And okay, up next is the part that seemed to really get Sam's proverbial goat, uh, the bit about consciousness. For this reasons, the first thing is he has to dispense with consciousness, and he has to dispense with free will. And I actually think that's deeply problematic. And I think the reason he has to do that, and Dennett does it too, is because there is something metaphysically strange about consciousness. And you can't allow for that if you're a reductionist materialist. Mm -hmm. Oh my, so he's dragging Dan Dennett into it too. Uh, and actually, I think Harris and Dennett butt heads on free will. And the idea that Sam has to dispense with consciousness, that seems so bizarre to me. Because consciousness is one of his main focuses, both as a neuroscientist and as someone with a long-standing interest in things like meditation and Eastern philosophy, etc. Actually, let's read Sam's tweet again. I have to dispense with consciousness. Jordan, my ethics are entirely grounded in, in the reality of consciousness. And I've repeatedly said that consciousness is the one thing in the universe that cannot be an illusion. So yeah, very strange. Is he mistakenly suggesting that Sam has dispensed with consciousness? Or is he suggesting Sam should dispense with the idea of consciousness if he's going to be intellectually honest with himself and others? Because consciousness doesn't jive with a materialist worldview, in Peterson's opinion. Either way, it still doesn't really make sense. And in fairness to Jordan, I get his comment about there being something seemingly metaphysical about consciousness. 
to put in the vernacular, consciousness is, it's trippy. Doesn't matter how smart you are, uh, it's still a tough one to wrap your mind around. Wrapping your mind around consciousness, I think that was a hair away from uh, being an unintentional joke. But to me, my layman's opinion, I can see how through evolution you might have something with a basic nervous system that possesses some basic kind of awareness, how it might keep evolving, giving rise to new, more complex life forms with more and more complex nervous systems, and eventually you might get a creature that's not only aware, but is self-aware. Just my two cents. And so I'm more than willing to say, look, I, I don't understand consciousness at all. And the more I think about it, the less I understand it, because it seems to be the linchpin of being. Without consciousness, there's no being. You right. could say, well, the material reality continues. It's like, well, maybe and maybe not, because we do not understand the relationship between time and space and consciousness. So there's no, it's not self-evident that what you're saying is true. It might be true, but even if it was true, well, exactly how does the universe that has no consciousness in it exist? Like, how do you parameterize it? Mm -hmm. Does it have a duration? Does it have a size? Does it right. have any qualities? Like, what is well, it? It's like a video game that no one's playing. Right, exactly. Like we may find the idea disturbing, but why couldn't there be a universe with no conscious life in it? And I imagine, yes, it would still have properties, but there would be no one around to conceptualize them. And I agree with Peterson that, yes, consciousness for us does seem to be the linchpin of existence. It's through consciousness in our bodies, of which consciousness may very well be an emergent property, that we experience existence. Without consciousness, there is no awareness. But why does Sam need to dispense with the concept just because he's coming at it from a scientific materialist point of view? As I just alluded, there are many scientists who believe consciousness is an emergent property of the meat brain. Well, what is that exactly? <laughs> well, th this, is, this is where we get to, you know, back to that three-hour conversation that you and Sam had as to the nature of truth and what exactly truth is. And one of the things that I always, w I don't want to, you know, critique Sam's ideology without him here to defend himself. Although um, it's fun. It, yeah. it is definitely fun, but we'll have to have Sam in here to actually, yeah. to actually do that because it'd be a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. um, but one of the things that I've always found weird is that he and I have precisely the same notion of an objective truth, but... I don't understand where he's getting his from. Well, what do you mean by objective truth? If you mean objective moral truth or objective morality, then yeah, we'd have a whole can of worms to sort through. But if you simply mean objective truth regarding the nature of reality, then we should basically all be able to be on the same page. Either something exists or it doesn't, either something is empirically true or it isn't. We could gaze at our navels all day and wonder if we're really just part of a holographic projection or ponder how our limited senses might give us some skewed representation of reality. But at the end of the day, we should all be able to agree on more or less on the nature of concrete reality. Meaning that, right. it, like, I'm getting... Yeah, and I don't either. Like, well, and he also stresses... Because if you, if you, if you, if you base your viewpoint on a uh, materialist evolutionary biology, then what you, would what you would say is the truth is that which is most biologically successful. Mm -hmm. Right, that, that's... the claim I was making when I talked to Sam. Right, exactly. And here Ben appears to be borrowing from Jordan. Why would quote-unquote truth be what's most biologically successful? This seems to be a very odd definition of truth, something somewhat distant from the everyday common sense use of the word, say, you know, regarding what's empirically or factually true. As in, I went to work today. True. I'm speaking into a device called a microphone as I record this. True. I'm a reptilian hybrid from the planet Nibiru. Believe it or not, false. There are other uses of the word true, such as when we talk about moral truths or higher truths. But even in this sense, I still struggle to see how 
truth would be defined by what's biologically successful. Maybe if I really rack my brain, I could come up with an example like we're evolutionarily wired with a strong drive to procreate, uh, which causes us or is linked to our being sexually attracted to other members of our species. Thusly, we're wired with an appreciation of the aesthetic beauty of the human form, symmetry, youthful, healthy appearance, etc. Ergo, beauty is truth in a sense. But honestly, I don't know. I'm stretching to try to uh, understand the sense in which they're using truth. Once again, it seems divorced from the usual definition or use of the word truth. Truth as in what's useful is another way I think Peterson couched it in that interview with Sam. Once again, you got me. And just for the heck of it, I'm looking at uh, Merriam-Webster's uh, online dictionary, and I'm looking at the definition of truth. A, the body of real things, events, and facts, actuality, the state of being the case. Let's see, or two was the state of being the case. Three, often capitalized, a transcendent, fundamental, or spiritual reality. So that's kind of in the sense when I was saying sometimes we speak of higher or moral truths. B, a judgment, proposition, or idea that is true or accepted as true. Truths of thermodynamics. C, the body of true statements and propositions. Then the second definition, A, the property as of a statement of being in accord with fact or reality. B, and this is a chiefly British, it's saying, simply true. C, fidelity to an original or to a standard. And that would obviously be in the sense of when we would say you're being true to something, you know? And then definition three, A, sincerity in action, character and utterance. B, and this is, uh, they're saying it's an archaic form, fidelity, constancy. Then oddly enough, definition four refers to a, a Christian science use of the word, um, simply God. Yeah, so I mean, you can be true to an ideal, true to your spouse, um, a replica of something could be true to the original, or something can be factually true, or yeah, you can have these kind of so-called higher or moral truths. Um, but still, I'm not really understanding the sense in which Jordan Peterson and Ben Shapiro, who seems to be concurring with his interpretation of truth, how they're using or defining truth. I'm still struggling to wrap my head around it. Maybe, maybe they're, they're saying that if there is no metaphysical truth, if all there is is the material world and the laws of the physical universe and biology and evolution, then truth, as in higher truths or ideals, can only be defined by those baser processes or processes. But I don't even think that necessarily holds water because from a materialist, scientific point of view, which I admittedly tend to lean heavily towards, you can still focus on the figure of better angels of our being, our propensity or capacity for altruism and compassion, group solidarity, etc. Uh, it doesn't all have to be defined by the survival of the fittest. Which is, which is your claim, and also a claim that leads to religion, because biologically speaking, religious believers are more biologically successful than non-religious believers well, over the course of religious, history. Well, also religious belief evolved. Right. That's the thing. 
Not only did religious belief evolve, clearly it evolved. It's one of the human universals. The capacity for religious experience evolved. I have absolutely no argument with that. I too think that religious belief and the capacity for religious experience are byproducts of evolution. That doesn't mean that the faith claims of man-made religions are true. Actually, here we have a religious person, Shapiro, and a kind of apologist for religion, Peterson, both agreeing that the religious impulse is a product of evolution. Brilliant. Well, you might say, why? Well, maybe you could, you could take the viewpoint that seems to be characteristic of Steven Pinker and say, well, it's a spandrel. It's just a side effect of something more substantial. And my objection to that is, Define your spandrels first. Right, exactly. You don't get to define right. them post-hoc, exactly right. you know? You don't, you, don't get to, right. you don't get to define away the side effects of the drug. Right, right. right. exactly. That's exactly it. it, 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 it. Yeah, when, you know, my, when people talk about drugs, very often what they'll do is they'll say, well, you know, the drug is for a headache, but it has the side effect of causing you cancer. Right. And it's like, well, no, the drug causes cancer. Yeah. Right? It's right. not a side effect. Maybe the getting rid of the headache is the side effect. Every, I mean, every one of those prescription commercials, you know, headache, diarrhea, nausea, thoughts of suicide, et cetera, et cetera, but your cough might go. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. it's really not. Brilliant contribution at the end there, Dave. And that final bit from Shapiro and Peterson about whether or not religious belief and the capacity for religious experience are side effects or not seems a bit weak to me. You just agreed a moment ago somewhat adamantly that they evolved, but you almost scoff at Pinker's suggestion that they might be the unintentional byproduct of another adaptation. Either way, who cares? I mean, what are you getting at? I'm not sure what you're trying to say, but to me, it sounds a lot like God done did it. And with that, I don't think I have much more to say, so I'm probably going to call it a wrap. You guys know the drill. Please like the Facebook page, follow the show on Twitter, check out the YouTube channel. Maybe you're doing that now. You can subscribe to the show via iTunes. If you want to help the show monetarily, the best way is probably to go to patreon.com slash theweekendout and uh, support the show for as little as 99 cents a month and stop anytime you want. And speaking of that, yes, I will be recording the second episode of the new Patreon bonus content series, The Not-So-Secret Show. Not sure what I'm going to talk about this, uh, this time around. I might talk about my obsession with the doors. <laughs> all right, but we'll see. So, all right, thanks again, guys. Until next week. <laughs>